morning. Please join me in our responsive call to worship that you'll find in your bulletins. Let us gather this hour in the grace, peace, strength, hope, and good courage that our Lord provides. Because God has put the new song in our mouths, we will sing our praise to God with Because God not only blesses us, but hears our pleas, let us put our trust in God's steadfast love. Because God's love has been written upon our hearts, we try to live our daily lives doing God's will. In our worship and in our life, May we celebrate, celebrate God's grace and gifts in all we do and say. Please join me in prayer. Word made flesh and flesh made love. God of both mystery and plans made manifest. We thank you for another day, another opportunity to know you. May you draw us into your mystery, Lord, and let us dwell in it together in community. Let us marvel at the breadth and the height and the depth of your love, at the staggering feats of faith and the friendship you have engineered, just in bringing us into this space. And let this shock shock us, renew us, inspire us, to honor each moment, this moment, to honor each person, this person, to honor you, Lord, our Lord, most holy and most present beside us. In this love, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us free. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. worship here at Southport Congregational Church. Whoever you are and wherever you are on your faith journey, you are welcome here. So there are a number of things um, I would like to talk to you about this morning. The first uh, four are a little different. They're all about people. 
So um, the first I want to do is welcome two friends of ours that are here from Hermosa, South Dakota. They are Shelly and Dan Martin. You can stand up so they can see you. Shelly and Dan are owners of, if you've been on a mission trip, the very popular Pops Grocery Store. And uh, they have recently sold it. They are on retirement. They are, have come to New England to go leaf peeping. So it was good that last night was a little bit cold because we're a little behind. Um, but they have been two of the most supportive people of our work and of our just us as people um, that we've met in Hermosa. We, I met them. 15 years ago when I first walked into their store um, and they have been friends and huge supporters and very generous to us um, ever since. If you are a parent and you want to talk to them about your child's ATV experience at their house, um, they are the ones responsible, uh, wasn't me. Um, <laughs> And if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're a parent of a child who went on a mission trip last year, you should ask them. Um, but uh, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to New England. They got to spend three hours on 95, uh, stuck in traffic between New York and Connecticut. So they've, they've had the full experience so far. Uh, also, yesterday afternoon, around 4 o'clock, we sent out an email of, of some rapidly changing news here at Southport Congregational Church. Um, Paul DePrado had a friend call him and offer him a job he simply could not refuse. He was not looking to leave Southport Congregational Church. Um, he talked to Paul and I, and of course, you, you need to take and do what you need to do. But Paul being Paul, um, let us write to Nick Hopfield, Hopfeld, Hopfeld, um, who uh, is a great friend of the Palmers, Chris and Marjorie Palmer, and has, Paul has known him since um, 30 years since they were in their MBA program together. Um, Nick is a former executive at Subway. He may be slightly overqualified, I don't know, but um, the good news is uh, he's in a, you know, a second part of his life type of thing, looking for something um, a little bit more uh, meaningful and, and, and fulfilling, and so uh, Southport Congregational Church it is. Uh, he will be here on Mondays and Fridays for the next three weeks. Um, Paul DePrado will be here uh, for the next three weeks as our Director of Administration. He then will become a, you know, back to a person in the pew, but um, please be sure to thank Paul for his time here in developing that program, and um, welcome Nick. Also, um, Scott Whitmore is up. Uh, he is our, um, our, our live stream director uh, today. He is here with one of his very good friends and band members, uh, Pav, and they will be here tonight leading a kirtan. Um, they are a, a dynamic duo who actually have a national acclaim you should come and experience if you never have. Um, come see what the two of them do together. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And then um, lastly, Paul is going to uh, offer this in prayers. Obviously, our hearts and minds are with the people of Palestine and Israel, um, and specifically with our good friend, Vered Ravid. We have known Vered for 14 years since we took our very first trip to Israel with her. Um, she is uh, actually on a tour. She has a tour group in Tiberias where they are under undercover. Um, 
and protected. But um, for those of you who uh, have known Verit, and it is many of you who have attended those trips, and so happy that um, a, a number of people got to go on our last trip to Israel with us there. Um, she is safe, uh, obviously very upset. She has a daughter who's in the military um, in, in um, special communications, and a daughter who has um, graduated out of the military, but uh, who knows when you go to war. I think anything can happen. So um, we will continue on with um, some prayers uh, during the pastoral prayer. Um, thank you so much to all of the church members, and they were many, um, who attended our call to attend the town meeting on October 4th concerning the United Illumin Illuminating Project that is um, coming through Fairfield and Southport. Um, it was... Uh, it was a, a, an egregious and horrifying meeting, but um, it actually also had some very satisfying um, parts to it in which to see a community so, um, so moved and ready to fight against really what is, if, I don't think we can say it enough, an egregious attack on Southport Center and Fairfield Center. Um, if you don't know, what it is I am talking about, um, you can go on the United Illuminating website and look for the Fairfield Powerline project, which is going to just go straight down the post road um, and all the way up to Bridgeport, seven miles of clear cutting trees and putting anywhere from 95 to 192 foot, that's almost 20 story high electrical poles in Fairfield and Bridgeport. So um, there will be an email coming soon, hopefully this afternoon, that will have names and contact information and a general kind of um, message that you could send. What we are asking you to do now, everyone, um, is to take those few 10 minutes to forward that on to the names and contacts that we will have there. Um, we, we literally need to... Um, uh, attack back on this. So um, everybody, including all confirmands and, and teenagers who are members of this church, should um, inundate these emails um, because it will it will have an impact. The more emails we send, the better it will be. And you're always welcome to forward any of the emails we send on to your friends. So if, if you have people um, who need to do that as well, please, please uh, feel free to do that. Um, staying with the good news, today you can join with me to talk about death in um, the, the library. <laughs> actually, it's better than that because it's actually talking about truly one of the nicest things you can do for your families, um, which uh, center around what happens when you die. So um, come join me. Um, I have composed a book called The Final Gift. Um, it, we will walk through it generally, um, and you can take it home. And um, if you can't attend, you can pick up a book anyway. Um, but what this basically does is it gives your family all the information they need to know um, in case of your passing. And in men's and women's group, we're doing Ecclesiastes, and the author is a great reminder that we are, if we are born, we die, and so we need to acknowledge that. So um, it's an important thing. It tells all sorts of things like passwords um, to banks and computers to, to who 
your lawyer is, where your will is stored, um, to what kind of songs you would like in your service, and would you like to be cremated or buried. So it, it's a really comprehensive book for all ages um, to fill out and just have on record for their family. Um, so join me. I'll make it uplifting, I promise. Um, and then you can come to the blessing of the animals with your favorite uh, animal, birds, feather, tur turtles, whatever you have. Um, Dave is ready to bless them at 4 o'clock in the courtyard. Um, refreshments will be provided for dogs and, and people. Um, I don't think we got cat treats or bird treats, but the dogs are, dogs are definitely taken care of. So join him today. And then, as I mentioned, the kirtan tonight at 7 o'clock. And we are bringing back, the Board of Christian Ed is bringing back a great program, um, very fun, called the Halloween Window Painting, um, where you will, um, kids, have an opportunity to paint one of the windows in the church in getting ready for Halloween. Um, so you need to register with me um, through email to, so we know um, how to assign windows and everything. So if you have children, please do that. Um, and also, just quick reminders about two things coming up. October 22nd at 4 p.m., Julianne Center's ordination service. Really important moment in the life of Julianne. Equally important moment in the life of Southport Congregational Church. Um, the Fellowship Committee is putting together a beautiful reception. If you would like to donate to that, you can speak to Hetty Mosier, Robin Marshlow, um, Annie Lillis, uh, all of whom are here today, uh, and they would love to have... Um, whatever you'd like to offer. And then this is, serves as an official notice of our congregational preliminary budget meeting to the congregation. Um, that meeting will take place Sunday, October 29th, immediately following worship in the sanctuary. All members of the church are asked to stay and vote. It has everything to do with all the programs and services that we can provide um, in the upcoming year. I forgot to say, would you please sign the friendship registers found on the inside and outside aisles of your pew? Sign your name, any information, and if you're a guest, give us some contact information. We would love to reach out to you. While you're doing that, I would welcome the children to come on forward. How glad are we that it stopped raining? So glad. A little sun makes everything a little better, doesn't it? All right, come on over here, guys. So we're just all together. There's no hiding. No need to hide. You're handsome young men, smart, engaged. Come on over, Moro children. Come sit right here for me. All right, I'm going to start out with a hard, hard question. But there might be a chance that one of you might know it. But if you don't, then I'm going to ask it to the congregation, and we'll put them on the spot, all right? I'm looking for the name, two things. One, you should be able to tell me from the picture what this man does for a job, and secondly, what this man's name is, all right? So yell out if you know something. Go. Um, he, um, what is he? Yell it out. He is a conductor. Does anyone know his name? Vivaldi. No. Nice, <laughs> nice thought. No, Vincent Van Gogh, though, is my favorite artist of all time. 
Um, Mrs. Yule, trained opera singer, uh, any recognize? I'm gonna put these people on the spot. You know who that is? I'm, I'm going to my last musician in the, in the uh, group. Let's see, if Philip, anyone? Toscanini, Arturo Toscanini is his name. Arturo, you'll never forget him now, will you? Nope. So, Arturo Toscanini was meeting with a biographer. What's a biographer? Someone who writes books, what? About you, specific, like about the person, right? So he's, write, he's meeting with his biographer, a person who's going to write a story of his life so that we all know who Arturo Toscanini is and all the interesting things that he did, right? And as part of their meeting, they were listening to an orchestra playing a piece that Toscanini had conducted recently. And so they listened to it. It's like an hour and a half long. And the biographer says to Toscanini, what'd you think? And Toscanini said, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but there was a problem. And the biographer said, what was the problem? He said, that was a 120-piece orchestra. And in that 120-piece orchestra, there were supposed to be 15 violinists, but there were only 14. And the biographer says, how could you possibly know that? And Toscanini said, I just know it. So they went off, and the biographer went to the orchestra hall, and he spoke to the conductor, and he said, I was listening to this on the radio with Ettore Toscanini, and he said there were only 14 out of the 15 violinists present at that radio production. And the conductor said he's absolutely right. The, the one called in sick at the last minute that night, so we only had 14 violins. So the biographer went back to Toscanini, and he said, how were you able to hear that one missing violinist. And Toscanini said, well, that's the difference between you and me. As part of the audience, everything sounds wonderful to you. But as a conductor, I know every single sound that comes from that orchestra. So I can hear who's playing their part, who's not, who's missed a note, who's a little offbeat, he said, of those 120 instruments, I hear all 120 of them. And I was reading that little story, and I got to thinking. I said, you know, when we are thinking about this in a greater context about God, right, we could say God is a conductor, and each one of us is a musician in God's orchestra, right? And if each one is a musician in God's orchestra, what does God know about us? What does God know? Everything. Everything. God knows when we're being kind. God knows when we're a little grumpy and tired and maybe not so kind, right? God knows when we're helping others. God knows when we're being a little selfish, right? 
And one of the things that got me thinking about, not only does God know, but God created each and every one of us like a special instrument. Some of us are like violins. Some of us are drums. Scotty's a drum. Our son Scotty, he's a drummer. Some of us are, are like flutes or piccolos or tubas, right? We each have special gifts. Each one is important in the orchestra. Each and every one is important in the music of God's life. And I thought, that's so important to remember because we are like a great symphony of God's, humanity is. And it's up to each one of us to play our unique selves in a way that God wants us to. So what are some of those ways, besides the ones that I told you already? What are some other ways that we can be good instruments in God's orchestra? Help other people. That's always a good one. What else? What do these people do every week up here? They sing. That is a great way to be part of God's orchestra. What about being a doctor? Yeah. What about a nurse? What about a teacher? Teachers are so important, right? What other thing? Who else is in our orchestra besides doctors and nurses and teachers? Parents, really important parts of the orchestra, right? Who else? A kid. A kid? Who else? Siblings. Siblings. So the next time you want to, you know, be mean to your sibling, you go, I can't do that. They're part of my orchestra. I'm in the same orchestra as them. I can't take down that orchestra person. God's symphony will sound not as good. All right? So let's say a prayer together. Dear God... Thank you for making us instruments in your divine symphony. Help us to be the best we can be so we make your sounds of love and justice and peace resound throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to chapel together.
So given the, um, the violence upon Israel um, and because, uh, well, today is a, a very different kind of prayer, but we're going to begin by inviting you to pray for several of our church members who are recovering from surgery. Um, first of all, Derek Yak, who is the husband of, I mean, he is of himself, but he's also the husband of Yasmin von Scheringding and is recovering really from a very major uh, surgery. And uh, Janet Reed, who is recovering from her corneal transplant, and also Tony Recito, who had shoulder replacement last week. <clears throat> so I mentioned that today is a very different kind of prayer. Um, we had a church group go to Israel. Uh, this is the third time we've gone as a church group, fourth time that Laura and I have gone to uh, Israel, which included a, a, a trip to Bethlehem, which is part of the Palestinian Authority. Um, we did not go to Gaza, which is also part of the Palestinian Authority, but um, Gaza, unlike um, Bethlehem and the central area, is not, uh, Gaza is under the leadership of Hamas, um, the other area is not. Um, and it's important to differentiate kind of who's who and what's going on in all this very confusing, very, very painful uh, picture. <clears throat> so we want to and we need to address the violence, which is now officially war uh, between Israel and Hamas. Um, and just to be clear, the heinous violence um, and acts of terror and war crimes is beyond disturbing, obviously, on so many levels. And so when we get into the prayer, we do, we will be asking for prayers this morning for the state of Israel and also for the people of Israel. Um, and we also ask for prayers for the people living under the rule of the Palestinian Authority and the people living under the rule of, of Hamas who don't have anything to do with the radical and terrorist leaders. There are the radical and terrorist leaders, but there are many people living under their, their power who are regular citizens, moms, dads, children. Um, and now the vast majority of citizens there in the Palestinian Authority, specifically Gaza, are now going to get the brunt of the military response where most citizens, as they are everywhere, are just trying to get along and live. And it's very, very sad. And that's true for the vast majority of Israelites, too, who are just trying to get along and live their lives. What Hamas has done and is doing, sending missiles and kidnapping women and teenagers and children, indiscriminate killing is heinous and is unquestionably evil. So may those involved meet justice, and may all innocent parties and may all grieving parties be protected and find peace and justice and healing. And with that, let us continue as we do so in prayer. Let us pray. Our loving God, may all people 
who are living in fear and those living at the mercy of larger governments in Israel and Palestinian Authority and all around the world. God, as your children, may they find and have your protection and find and create and demand peace and be people of peace and healing and justice. And may the leaders act wisely, God, as you would intend, letting justice roll down like waters, but protecting the innocent and not further inflaming the deep pain and violence and loss, which is so deeply part of the past and is continuing in the present. And may we all act and think and decide with wisdom and as always with love, God, for as we know you in the scriptures, you are love. And that love, your love, teach us how to act in love and how to do the loving thing. But do the loving thing as we are pressed by the elements of the world that so often is at such odds with love. So teach us what to do and how to act and how to respond in specific situations, which is so hard, so often, God. And so ultimately we ask and we pray as that we desperately need your wisdom. May you not just grant us your wisdom, which we, you always do, but because your wisdom is so often quiet and subtle and peaceful, may we do our work of working very, very hard to be good listeners and not to jump to shaking our fists and clamoring for even more violence. But may we do our hard but spiritual and faithful work of listening hard for your guidance, God, for your presence, Christ, you who are King of Peace, as to how to navigate this. First and foremost, as a person of faith, the Christian faith, and as a part of your body, the body of Christ, who reminds us that we are all part of your one body, and that every one of us, God, is your child. And under your rule of leadership, may we ask you, O oh God, what is your will here? Come into our hearts, each one of us. How shall we think, God? How shall we respond? How shall we speak? And how shall we act? And again, may you be with all of your children, keeping all of your children under your wing and protected by your shield and protected by those faithful to you and to your love. In your spirit and with our faithful and seeking hearts, we pray. Amen. Thank you.
that is beautiful. That's a little bit of heaven on earth, right? Um, and it's just, it's so wonderful to be, have these, be able to have these pockets of, uh, of sanctuary in the midst of everything else of life. I love this dynamic that we get to participate in of being a person of faith, um, where as a person of faith, you know, we, we ask God and we rely on God to say, God, do your part, part one. And then part two is, and we do our part. And that's a big part of what makes God's will happen on earth. And so um, our offering this morning is, this is our opportunity to do our part so that we can give our gifts, share our resources so that they might uplift and, and strengthen the downtrodden and uh, the poor in spirit and the economically poor and those who are hungry and those who are cast out. So our morning offering will now be shared by you and received and shared once again.
with me now in the unison prayer of dedication. Receive these gifts, O God, as expressions of our gratitude and loving devotion. May they be used to increase your love among us and all people. Amen. May God bless the reading of God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Last spring, the U.S. Surgeon General announced that we have a serious public health crisis of loneliness in our country. Now, this started even before the pandemic. And it's driven by a lifestyle and a culture that simply has no tolerance for the time-consuming messiness of human relationships, friendships. The report concluded that there are physical health consequences to insufficient connection to one another. And that includes the increased risk of heart disease, stroke, dementia, and even premature death. Now this sounded surprising to me. It may sound surprising to some of you, these links. But it actually shouldn't be news to us. We as humanity knew this thousands of years ago. The Greeks saw friendship as essential to human flourishing and well-being. Aristotle wrote about what a virtue it was to put your friend's interests above your own. As Jesus says to his disciples, to lay down your life for one's friends. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hear a lot of people speaking this way today about friendships. We live in an individualistic culture, one that prizes self-sufficiency. 
This morning, as we think about this passage from John 15, where Jesus is addressing his disciples as friends, I want to reflect on what it is that Jesus does for his friends. Because I think we can learn something from it. What is friendship? Let me give you a hint. It's not the way Mark Zuckerberg defines it. Let me start by talking about what friendship is not, because I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm about to say. I want to be clear that I am not talking about a relationship with someone who's abusing you. That's not a friendship. And I'm not talking about anyone having an obligation to that sort of relationship. I'm also not talking about the many, many, what I call transactional relationships that we all have, that we sometimes confuse with friendships. I learned how many of those I had when I left my law firm. <laughs> Frankly, that may be the vast majority of the relationships that we have. Those are the relationships based on whether we are of use to the other person. No. What I'm talking about are the relationships that the Greeks would describe as filial love or brotherly love. It's not romantic love. It's not family love. Friendship is a relationship bound in mutual respect and radical reliance on one another. And this is the type of friendship that they try to build in our armed forces, where men and women literally lay down their lives for their friends, as Jesus describes, in service to one another and to the broader community of our nation. We don't hear people today talking in terms of the Greek notion of filial love in their friendships. But you don't have to be in the Marine Corps to have these types of relationships. Today we tend to think of friendships as relationships of convenience, social relationships. They feel good, there's nothing wrong with that. Relationships that endure though only so long as we don't get too needy on each other. Relationships that we can withdraw from if we're not getting anything out of them. But Jesus modeled a different standard. And it's one we're capable of, too. This morning, I want to talk about three ways that Jesus is the ultimate friend and what we all can learn from that. So here are the three ways. First, Jesus comes closer, not just close, closer when his friends are suffering. Second, Jesus remains with his friends even when he's not getting what he wants out of the relationship. And third, he enables his friends to do what they cannot do on their own. And through that process, he lifts them up and he helps them be their highest and best selves. That is an extraordinary friend.
Now, as I reflected on this, I should say that I realized that I've been blessed with some extraordinary friends. People, of course, like Peggy, who's been a friend for 35 years through the toughest, toughest points where I wasn't giving very much, and yet she always saw in me what I have not been able to see in myself. I have a friend in this church who takes the time to never let me get away with imprecise thinking. And he's great about nudging me to get together. And I'm grateful for that. You know who you are. I have a friend in this church who relentlessly pushes me into new spiritual places, places of the heart, the places that I'm not naturally, where I'm not naturally inclined to go as a lawyer. And I have a friend who takes the time to reflect on my sermons, to help me improve and relate better to people. <laughs> These aren't people who are trying to get something from me to serve their own interests. They're people with whom I am bound in mutual obligation and respect, even though it may not feel that way sometimes, friends. It's not easy to take the time and the mental energy to engage like that, but it's crucial to building extraordinary friendship. Friends, in all your candor with me, none of you has yet told me I'm nuts, so I'm going to keep at this for a little bit. Now let's talk about the model that Jesus sets for us. And let's take those three ways that Jesus demonstrates extraordinary friendship. First, he comes closer. Closer. Not just close. Closer to his friends when they're suffering. That should be fairly obvious when you take a moment to think about it. Jesus hangs with poor fishermen. He befriends folks who are in need the exploited, the sick, the poor, those convicted of crimes, the outcasts, the pariahs, people who can't do anything for him. Even when Jesus is hanging on the cross between two common criminals and one says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus doesn't say to him, hey man, can't you see I'm here suffering too? He didn't say, sorry, pal, I need a little me time. Back off. No. What does Jesus do? He draws close to the guy. He makes him a friend. He listens to his plea. And he says to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's an extraordinary friend. A friend comes closer to. He doesn't back away when we're most in need. I wonder whether I draw closer to my friends when they are in need. Or do I back off, hoping the need will pass before I need to inconvenience myself? Second, Jesus remains with his friends even when he's not getting what he wants out of the relationship. It's not that Jesus doesn't want anything out of his friendships. He most certainly does. He's just willing to be patient and stick with his friends, even when they aren't giving it. 
He's willing to maintain hope. Even when his disciples are just not coming through for him. In Matthew 16, after he tells his disciples that he's going to be killed, Peter says to him, say it ain't so, Jesus. Well, he doesn't say that. He says, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. And Jesus just loses it at this point. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He's at his wit's end with Peter. Can you relate to this? Have you ever been super frustrated with a friend like this? He has just told Peter that he's relying on him to be the foundation of the church, the future of the faith, the model disciple. And after three years of teaching him, Peter just doesn't get it. He's not meeting Jesus' standard. But Jesus never leaves his side. Later in Matthew, Jesus' disciples are having trouble curing an an epileptic. And Jesus says to them, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Those aren't my words. Those are the words in the NRSV, in your pews. How much longer must I put up with you? But he never leaves them. Never fires his disciples. Never goes off to try to find more intelligent disciples to replace these guys. He's fiercely, fiercely loyal. Even though he's not getting what he wants. What he expects. What he needs out of the relationship. Now the best example of this is just before Jesus is about to be captured, tried, and crucified. He takes three of his disciples into the garden to pray. Peter, James, and John. They know Jesus needs them to pray with him. And they keep falling asleep. You've all heard the story. He says to them, guys, can't you stay awake with me for one hour? I'm about to be killed. Jesus doesn't get what he needs. They keep falling asleep. And yet he never leaves them. Never abandons them. That's an extraordinary friend. He stays with us when he's not getting what he wants or needs. I know I don't always do that. Do you remain with your friends even when they're coming up short? Do you stick with a friend even when it's not meeting some of your needs? Sometimes I wonder what sort of extraordinary friendships I might have had if I had done that. Third, Jesus enables his friends to do what they can't do on their own. A true friend takes the time to look deeply into us, to see our potential more than we see it in ourselves. That's what Jesus did with his friends. He had such faith in them that he sent these illiterate fish- fishermen out to do the impossible. Miracles, healing, and evangelizing in a highly hostile community. When he senses that they're afraid about his impending death, he tells them, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. 
In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. He lifts them out of their fear, something they can't do on their own. He's about to die, and he's not focusing on his own fear, but on their fear. He lifts them to a higher calling. To spread the faith in a way they couldn't have done on their own. That is an extraordinary friend. Someone who loves us so deeply that they're able to see in us what we can't see in ourselves. It's what the book of Proverbs means when it says, and you all have probably heard this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We come together to make each other better than we can be on our own. In your friendships, are you looking deeply into your friend to take joy in helping them do the things that they can't do without you? Or are you still stuck and whether the friendship is helping you get places. Or worse, are you trying to one-up your friends in competition? Friendships are opportunities to deliberately lift each other, to do things we can't do on our own. They're crucial. We need them for our well-being, for the well-being of humanity. Jesus is the example God set for humanity. An extraordinary friend who walked in solidarity with us. Can we emulate Jesus' friendship with us to lift each other to a stronger, more inspiring, and more loving existence with one another? We can. We can. Amen.
now, dear friends, as you go out into the world refreshed in the power of the Holy Spirit, may you seek friends and find them. And when you do find them, may you nourish and cultivate those relationships so that you might do great things together in the eyes of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.